It's just oh, all of man. that is, is so good. I um, admit it. <laughs> right. They tried to tell me it was gout for a long time, Craig. I, I swear to God, I'm back to In that. your wrist, really? Yeah. Um, and at, at a certain point, I just sense. felt like I had two different doctors telling me this after results were kind of inconclusive on the, on the testing. And I mean, come on. The wrist is, is not a good one to, <laughs> to have go. We need that. Well, fortunately, in the important areas, I'm ambidextrous. Ah, so. there we go. <laughs> Nicely done. All right, Big well, word like gymnasium. Yeah, yeah. There we go. There's the kiss Sorry. drop for the day. Yeah. Uh, right. We of course we have Craig Smith returning to the program. Uh, Craig, welcome back. Uh, thanks for uh, being the, the the diverse crowd of people talking about Pearl Jam Ten. That was yeah, LC's I- joke, by the way. His contribution to today's show. <laughs> uh, he always makes an appearance in some way, yeah. doesn't he? <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, he, that he wants to be included. Yeah. Uh, well, we got a big one today, man. Um, uh, coming in at number three on Rolling Stone's greatest grunge albums of all time is the 1991 debut record from Pearl Jam 10. Um, this was released on my birthday, August 27th, 1991. It was produced by Rick Parasher and Pearl Jam, and it had the singles All Monsters for the most part, uh, Alive, Even Flo and Jeremy, maybe not so much Oceans as a monster, but anyway. And this sucker has gone on to sell 13, 14 million uh, records there, Craig. Uh, uh, This is uh, an album you go back to? Uh, To be completely honest, no. It was was nice to revisit it um, because I tend to go towards uh, Versus, which is my favorite. Mm. Uh, No Code, which is my favorite when Versus is not my favorite. Uh, 10, I kind of revisited when the Redux came out. Yeah. Uh, obviously, uh, you know, Pearl Jam is one of those bands. I probably said it in the last episode. I, I tend to go more towards their official live bootlegs than the studio records. I think that that's where they really shine. Um, so it's not like I don't hear these songs all the time, uh, but in their studio, yeah, in in the studio counterparts, it's, it's not an album I go back to very often. So it was nice to kind of, um, go back and switch back and forth between the original and the redux, you know, during this listening process. I'm still working my way through that mountain of live stuff you sent me after the last show. So thank you for that. It's Oh, you're welcome. Yeah, wonderful shit. Uh, good stuff. To, yeah, I got to tell you, uh, that last episode that we did on Versus, after that I went like deep into a Pearl Jam yeah, rabbit too. hole. <laughs> and um, I found uh, two Pearl Jam uh, podcasts that I subscribed to and immediately joined the Patreon for. Wow. Uh, one um, is specifically uh, live recordings. They do like one per show, and another one is more topical. Um, single podcast theory and live on four legs. Both recommended. Um, really good, uh, very obsessive level Pearl Jam stuff, but good hosts, you know, fun to listen to. Right on. Obviously, nice you, you know a lot about that, having uh, you know, 
years co-hosted a show with uh, with Cannonball. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. We're, we're, we're two great hosts. Uh, we're very informative. Um, That's right. Uh, and, you know, and as uh, Wadley said in, in the last episode, uh, being podcasters, we have to deal with a lot of groupies and, and deal with that kind of mm. stuff, too, that comes with just all successful podcasters. Yeah, absolutely. Let's That's get... why Eric and I, Eric and I, had to take a break from cutting a swath through Pennsylvania, <laughs> uh, and, and that's why we're retired. Just uh, the groupies got out of control. Too much pussy. Uh, um, well, let's get a little bit into the backstory of this. I don't think we carried sure. too far back into the formation of this band on the last episode. Of course, um, Stone and Jeff had been in a band going all the way back to Green River, and then from that they kind of formed Mother Love Bone, and that was kind of on the premises of their like first major label kind of release when their singer Andrew Wood overdosed and died, and that mm. band, of course, came to an end um, before they even released their, their their major label debut anyway. Uh, so Stone and Jeff kind of soldiered on. I think the story of how they ended up with um, Eddie is probably the most fascinating part of all this. Because, I mean, he's, he's a guy in San Diego. How does he actually even end up with this tape? How do they get it back? And, you know, because he, he wasn't someone of any note. And, and if you look at it, it is... It's very serendipitous because I can't think of a – he seems just the perfect guy for the job is all I'm getting at. Yeah. And, I mean, they um, in Pearl Jam 20, which is a documentary I know you've seen mm-hmm. and that I def- definitely recommend for anybody just into music documentaries, whether you're a Pearl Jam fan or not. It's one of those that's just put together brilliantly. Um you know, they talk about getting this three song cassette. Basically, they sent him instrumental demos, and they got this back with just, you know, probably a primitive four track. He probably took their thing and just sang whatever on top of it, and they were just like, "Holy shit! Like this is the, <laughs> there's there's no way this isn't the guy," you know. And you got to think like at that point, it's just a matter of can you get on with this dude, um, right? And that that's but, yeah, a huge I mean, part, though. That's. Uh, it absolutely is. And I mean, you know, they, they've, you know, had kind of weird um, weird times in the band with, with power dynamics and things like that that they kind of get into. But, um, you know, looking at it on the surface, especially during this era of 10, watching live shows from this time, it he was meant to be a front man for this band. A lot of, like, um, the grunge movement is, is all focused on Nirvana and then from that point on. Now this album actually came out a month before Nevermind, although I think it definitely benefited from the the success of Nevermind. But sure. let's go back to the fact that Mother Love Bone basically imploded and Stone and Jeff were still able to kind of, you know, get together and kind of rebound in a fairly short period of time and have a major mm-hmm. label re- release come out with an entirely new project. When I spoke with Bruce Pavitt, he actually mentioned that well the Seattle scene was getting a lot of attention long before Nirvana Nevermind broke. And I think that that kind of adds credence to it. Because like a record label, why would you even still hang in there with these people? They might still have the context, but you might be like, look, you guys, it just it just isn't going to happen for you. you. This isn't the type of luck most people get. You know, you look at a band right. like Y&T, it's just bad break after bad break, but it's one band carrying forward. This band had a huge bad break, and they hadn't even accomplished anything. So the fact that they were kind of still given the opportunity in such a short period of time does add credence to the idea that this Seattle scene was getting noticed with or without Nirvana, never mind blowing up the way it did. Right. Not yeah. Now, who knows how it would have turned out if that record didn't hit, but... 
you mentioned, uh, and I think that this might have been to Pearl Jam's detriment, uh, Nirvana absolutely the face of grunge, but Eddie Vedder absolutely the voice of it. When you mm. look at kind of uh, the grunge tropes, it's people imitating Eddie Vedder's voice. You know, and that's yeah, no doubt. Probably not not been a great thing. I mean, obviously you'll like his voice or you won't. But then when people start to take that on as a contrived kind of affect, it you know it 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 kind of cheapens the original article for a lot of people. Yeah, uh, and I think that that that's probably uh, you know something that um, you know. Uh, I don't know that I'd say made their popularity wane, but it, it definitely probably pulled people away from them, you know? It definitely, you know, drives some of the hatred. No doubt. When they started recording the record, they were still called Mookie, Mookie Blaylock by everything I found out. Uh, is that yeah. right? Now, do you, yeah, I do believe you, so. You, you're, I don't think you're the hugest sports guy, right? Do you, are you familiar with Mookie Blaylock as the basketball player? Uh, yeah, and I only know that because of Pearl Jam. Now, nice, nice player, but... Uh, not exactly um, uh, uh, like he's a mid-level talent. You know what I mean? Um, okay. And I thought it'd be fun to just give uh, the listeners the career stats of Mookie Blaylock, if that's all right. Uh, yeah. All right. Uh, well, he played in 889 games. Uh, he averaged 13 and a half points. Again, not bad, but that's not Michael Jordan level. Uh, 6.7 assists. Pretty solid. Field goal percentage, 40.9%. Uh, from three-point uh, range, he was 33.6 and a solid this would definitely make Shaq jealous. Uh, 73.6% from the three throw line. But I got to be okay. honest, Craig, I could do better than that in uh, grade school from the free throw. I had at least an 85% free throw percentage in sixth grade. See, I was just going to say, you said a lot of words. I'm not sure what any of them mean. <laughs> so I'm just going to take your word for it. Oh, man. Uh, I never found out anything re- uh, confirming this. I don't know whether Mookie knew about them or cared. Do you know anything like did, did, did I'm guessing Pearl Jam isn't his kind of jam so to speak. I I feel like uh in the the documentary that they show if I'm remembering correctly it's like a scene of them in a car maybe playing their first show as Pearl Jam um and okay. they say something like they got a cease and desist or something like that. So the new name is Pearl Jam. It was like uh, them goofing around. Um, I don't know if there's truth to that story, hmm. um, but yeah, I mean, there there very well could be. There's a lot of mythology um, within the actual name of the band and mm-hmm. uh, the Mookie Blaylock thing, so it was really difficult to tie down. And they seem to like to keep it that way uh, for the yeah. most part. <laughs> so, yeah. um, now, in the in, I mentioned the um, the interview with uh, 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 Bill Simmons in the last episode. Eddie has a yeah. fantastic Dennis Rodman story in there. Where uh, apparently Eddie is friends with Dennis Rodman. Uh, now De- yeah. Dennis Rodman is a more known player, um, yes. m- much more of a character, but still odd to find out he's a huge Pearl Jam fan. Um, so yeah, he, yeah, he, he ends up in Seattle a day before a game. He he sees Eddie, meets Eddie at the hotel, and immediately talks Eddie into flying to Las Vegas so they can catch, I think, Alice in Chains or something like that. Wow. Uh, and uh, and so Eddie's, like, telling the story much better than I can. Um, but, but yeah, they land there, and, like, everything just rush, rush, rush. Uh, they sit down. Dennis opens a, a can of Coop Miller Light, and he's like, isn't this relaxing? Uh, and, like, basically he takes the red eye back to just to get some time just to get to the hotel before the team leaves for the game mm. and doesn't really sleep the whole time, but. 
Wow. And of course, uh, the Bulls head coach had uh, had had some eyes for Eddie walking into the lobby that day. <laughs> Blamed him apparently. There you go. Yeah, and uh, it, it's just a friendship that I've always been tremendously baffled by. Yeah, it's a weird one, man. Yeah. Uh, Dennis is a nut job. Um, well, he, yeah, you know, Dennis definitely. is also buddies with uh, Kim Jong Un. That yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> so they changed the name to Pearl Jam, which uh, to me is uh, more splugy than grungy. Good point. Yeah, what do you think <laughs> nicely done. I I, I like. Please tell me that that was not written down and that just came off the dome. <laughs> I came off the dome and then was written down. It's like, oh, okay. uh, I got to keep this. This is gold, Craig. Fair enough. You're is going to love this. <laughs> You're nothing if not honest. All right. Um, so the album cover gives us all sorts of references to the number 10. Uh, it, it, 10 hands, 10 arms. They're all giving 10 or giving five, but so that makes a bunch of 10s. Uh, everybody's got 10 <laughs> fingers, 10 toes, right? 10 ears. That's right. Um, but 12 songs. 11. Oh, 11. Sorry. Uh, well, I mean, if, it depends on if you're counting the hidden track as 12. Well, I, I, I suppose I was, but uh, I think yeah. I think you, you're... you can see you can see clearly on this mini disc copy <laughs> that the uh, track eleven uh, there is no track twelve listed. Uh, man, mini disc is kind of like uh, the uh, Bigfoot of uh, formats. You know what I mean? It's like you almost did those exist or didn't they? Uh, they clearly did. I am jealous. Yeah. I, I how many mini discs do you own? Well, this is the only pre-recorded mini disc that I ever bought. Oh, so it was uh, all for recording for you. It was all recording for me. All so right. basically, uh, uh, I'm not going to go off into a huge de- jag about this, but I recently got back into mini disc uh, just because it's fun to make discs, yeah. <laughs> and it's it's more fun than playlists. So um, yeah, I used to there's a, there's uh, a shot. <laughs> I used to uh, bootleg concerts with them. I had a uh, a semi portable one, um, and basically just used it mostly for like collecting live shows and shit like that. It was it was the step between cassette and recordable CD, which at that time was way out of price range and probably not consumer friendly. Okay. Uh, so this was like 92. Yeah, I remember like the, the display at Best Buy was not like grand and it was all like yeah. big albums. Kind of like CD was at first, you know, you could get like yeah. Thriller or Born in the USA with yeah. you know shit like that, but Yeah, I think it was more uh more it was it, I think it might even still be fairly big in Japan. You go on to really? eBay, like there are tons of auctions from Japan for mini disc. But yeah, this was the only one I ever bought because I just w- was curious mm-hmm. how it would sound and what the liner notes were like and all that shit. Um and uh you know, it's it's comparable to CD. You know. But it was fun to bring it Is out. Is it lossless like CD or Uh no, so basically it's it's I think they call it at track compression, which is comparable to like MP3, okay. but probably sounded better like when I listened to it then I didn't really notice a difference, you know, and you know, you'd probably be hard pressed to like, I never like went and did an AB with them. You know, it was more just like a convenient thing that was cool to bring around, you mm-hmm. know, when you had a portable, but, um, yeah, I, it, the, uh, the, there is compression on it. Yeah. Okay. So not truly lossless. There you go. Um, so anybody who has any further questions about the Minidisc technology, uh, <laughs> you email Craig at uh, CraigMinidiscSmith at gmail.com. That, 
that speech of mine is going to be at least seven drops in further Cobras and Fire episodes. <laughs> I, I, just, I can sense it now. I'm still waiting for the right opportunity to use your new setup as show art. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's, it's something else. Yeah, it is, man. It's pretty cool. Uh, all right. Well, back to Pearl Jam. Um, yes. Well, the album got decent reviews upon release. Even the crusty octogenarian Robert Crisigo, my favorite guy. <laughs> I was waiting for it. G- giving it a B minus. That's like an eight on whatever Craig rating you're going to give today. Uh, yeah, that's, so, that's not bad. Uh, anyway, let's get into the record. What do you say? I'm I'm ready. Well, it opens up technically with uh, kind of a little bass riffy kind of Congo thing that they close the album with. Is yeah. Now, I thought I stumbled across. I couldn't find it when I went back to get it, but I thought at some point looking into this, I found a place that actually had a name for that song. Do you know that? Yeah, it's called Master Slave. Okay. So, Master but, slash slave. I think the um, the Japanese pressing actually lists it. I think that's the only CD release that actually gives a title for it. Okay. Um, but yeah, so so the the first official listing on on our copies anyway is uh, the song once. Just one of those great album openers. And Pearl Jam, when they played live around this time, were not known for starting a concert with something like this. They would usually do a slow burn, sometimes still do, and did for many years. Um, but as an album opener, this is just top notch. Like that, just that that opening riff is great, and, and then the it's just oh, all of yeah. that is, is so good. Um, <laughs> right uh and eddie's vocal delivery on this is great and just you know the chorus uh just so good yeah. a home run home run opener uh that's that's my one sports reference for this there you go yeah they knocked it out of the park that's right. um yeah man this is a ditto 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 man this is just it really does, you know. I didn't connect with this right away because I didn't. I think I mentioned on the last episode. I actually got on this record probably early '92, somewhere around okay. there, and I started with Alive and Even Flow, and then it took me a while where I was actually playing the the record front to back, you know, pretty much as I would now. But mm-hmm. I this this song to me is one of the ones that like it. You know, I know they're a band that mixes up their set list a lot, but if I went to a show and curated a set list, it would probably have most of this album on it, and I would love it if they opened up with this fucking tune. Yeah. This is the show you should have seen, the Philly show. Oh, man. Where they did it front to back for the, maybe, I think they might have done it once in 92. Um, but, uh, yeah. 
uh, a show I missed, a show that famously Eric texted me and said, hey, Pearl Jam's playing tonight. You want to go? And I was like, <laughs> yeah, I'm working late. You know, uh, yeah, I, I, I'm old. I don't have the mojo. And that was the night they played 10 beginning to end. Wow. Damn. Um, oh, so but that yeah, I mean, fairly recently you're saying, I'm sorry. I was yeah, thinking was, from this time, but. No, no, no. It was within the last 10 years, probably. Yeah. All right. Yeah, I'll get into some of the the, the missed opportunities of seeing these live here. I got a little segment for that. But okay. what do you got for a rating system this uh, episode there, Craig? Uh, okay. Uh, we're going one through five. Yeah. And uh, for this one, we are going with uh, three backstreet lovers and two Indian summers, which <laughs> equals five serial killers. I don't know if I can restate that. Um <laughs> Yeah, this one gets five or whatever that is. <laughs> yeah. Maxie Lover on the side of the road. I got a bomb on my tablet and it's going to explode. Uh, at some yeah. point, you're, you're going to give us like uh, your, the, your Eddie impersonation, that, I hope. I was just going to say that was that was like the Adam Sandler uh, <laughs> on Saturday Night Live <laughs> opera man doing Eddie. Oh, on the album is not the version that ended up uh, in the video or getting radio airplay. The single version was cut with Dave A. Uh, so, um, and you can tell because Eddie has a little soliloquy at the end. Okay. Um, uh, that this one doesn't. Uh, so uh, sometimes it's it's weird going back to this one because I've, I've heard the single one for so long. Um, I mean, this is a solid song. It, it It's... You forget about kind of the production of it. Like, there's something about the chorus that's just got this. I don't know if it's the the low harmony he's singing, but it's just it's so kind of spookily unexpected. Yeah. Um, I don't really know how else to describe it, but the um, uh, the live versions now kind of don't. Th- this uh, since I've been listening to the Pearl Jam podcast and, and stuff, this is the song that like fans don't want to hear anymore. Uh, oh, really? which I'm not at, yeah, I'm not at that point yet, but this is like the, you know, they switch their songs up a lot, but you might get even flow 85% of the time, uh, which is probably the highest, uh, 
any track in their catalog will get uh, in terms of their set list. But I mean, it, it's solid. It it at the time did not convert me. Uh, I, I was like, yeah, you know, this is all right. Uh, but I didn't get into 10 until, you know, a couple months after this, um, but solid song, you know, it's, it's, it's a groover, you know? Yeah. And I, and I think I mentioned that, uh, there was, a, a fetching a girl. I worked at the college radio station that very much, uh, uh, helped along my Pearl Jam fandom, but, uh, thankfully the music, uh, supported her, uh, her, her, what do you what do you call that when they what the the siren song where they they drive into the rocks? Yeah. Um, yeah. Anyway, um, I believe I, you called her fetching on the last episode as well, so that's <laughs> definitely the adjective. Uh, she was also pretty cool. Uh, we we were good friends. Um, awesome. But uh, this is the only song by them I've ever actually learned on guitar. Uh, but really, this whole record all the way through. Anyway, I, I've learned a handful of riffs here and there, but they do. A probably you know everybody talks about the two guitar attack of Judas Priest, but to me this is this is how you use a two guitar attack. This this song is a prime example because like the two rhythm tracks are kind of they're working against each other, but yet in unison. You know what I mean? The the, the timing yeah. isn't isn't identical, and just that was very fresh and new to me. You know, I mean at, at that time, and so that was uh, one of the things that drew me to kind of like get into this. Like, what are they doing? Um, yeah, uh, and they complement each other so well oh. when they do different things exactly you know? yeah and, and like i'm not enough of a guitarist to you know like i listened i listened to something like this or, or basically throughout their catalog and i was like wow how did they both like come up with what they came up with for this right and not fall into the rut of like both playing the riff you know they they're great that way yeah and they, 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 there's a ton of it throughout their catalog where, where they, they kind of do that so yeah if you're looking for a snapshot of, of my point is this would be a great song to start with but and I think I can't tell for sure but it sounds like Jeff Ament is playing a fretless on this I don't know do you know if he does a lot of fretless he does a ton of fretless yeah. okay um, anyway uh, what do you got for a rating here is it that same thing where we go we it sounds uh, like we have a new one each time. We're going to have a new one each time. Uh, so uh, this one, as much as I enjoy it, not a favorite. Uh, so this one I'm giving $4 bills. Okay. This gets $5 bills for me. So far, it's a perfect album. Okay. So. Okay. All right. Up next, uh, the track I was excited to get to just a few minutes ago is uh, the, the, the first single, I believe, right? Alive. Walk slowly 
you want to get ultra geeky, there's a, uh, a promo single with a a different mix of this, mm. um, which is which is quite nice. Uh, again, didn't grab me when I first heard it, but it's hard not to not to get into it now. Like uh, there there are two instances I can give you about like times where the song really got to me. Um, I had bought in 2000, they put out the entire tour on CD and I bought all 72 of those motherfuckers. <laughs> um, like I, I worked a block away from a record store and it was like, okay, I can wait until next week. No, I can't next day go and buy another one, buy another one until I had them all. And they did not play alive during that whole tour until the last show. Wow. Uh, the 72nd show of that tour, which uh, obviously had to have been a plan. Um, but uh, when they went into it, like the crowd went ape shit, And it was so good. And also in Pearl Jam 20, the ending kind of montage set to them playing this in Philly um, is just so fucking good. Like it, it's it's – one of those songs that that is topically incredibly very weird, but the song is just so anthemic, and it, it's hard to argue with. I, I really, really love it. I particularly, shockingly, love the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame performance of this. Yeah, it with, is with, with Dave have, cruising. Yep, back in and, and playing it. So they, they couldn't have had a ton of time to rehearse with him, I wouldn't think. And no. it is extremely moving and um and and tying it in with that moment of the of being yeah. being enshrined and kind of seeing that backdrop of the history of the band and then you know and and how that just kind of pulls yourself into it too. Like I have been a fan of this band. Since this yeah. song, you know what I mean, and and just being able to to ride that, you know, it, it still it just it was just masterful. Um, so that would be a live performance I would recommend as well. But uh, yeah, I, I was definitely remiss in not including that. So that would absolutely be a third uh, incredible perf- performance of it. And another band that has aged pretty well as far as looks. They might even look a little better now than they did back in their early. Uh, yeah, 
Yeah, agreed. I mean, <laughs> Stone Gossard was a goofy looking motherfucker in the nineties. Oh, he had he had some really questionable choices over the years. <laughs> All right, what's our rating for Alive going to be? All right, so this one I'm going to give five riffs ripped off from Ace Frehley, who ripped them off from Robbie Krieger. Okay, I also give this five uh, Ace Frehley riffs ripped off ripped off from Ace Frehley, who ripped them off from Robbie Robbie Krieger. <laughs> Yeah, man, you're 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 making this one tough for me, Craig. Uh, yeah, so you want to explain they, they set, that one? They settle down as we go on. What's that? You want to explain that a little bit for anybody that doesn't know what we're talking about? Well, for years, I'd always heard that um, that Stone Gossard ripped off Ace Frehley in this song, and I just never knew what it was. But it's the riff in the solo that goes da 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 which is, I, I think it's taken from She, mm-hmm. uh, if I'm not mistaken. But uh, it was Ace Freely ripping it off from five to one by the doors. No, no, the Ace Freely ripoff is almost note for note. <laughs> Uh, you can at least say Mike McCready added a little flavor of his own, but uh, okay. Did I say did I say Stone got wait? Oh wait, I said Stone got. Did I say Stone? I meant no. You know, I said Mike McCready. Yeah, I, I said Stone. Okay, okay. I, but yeah, Mike McCready is who we're talking about. Um, but yeah, yeah. that whatever. I don't know. Maybe I'll drop it in here so people can hear. It. But yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's a great rating. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I'm at fives across the board. Uh, you have one four. Is that right? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. All right. So I, clearly I'm a bigger fan. Um, uh, agreed. <laughs> Track four, why go? many many years to appreciate this one at all this there there are two songs on this record that at the time uh i don't know why i didn't get into them it's not that they're necessarily bad but i think that they're not the fives that the rest of this Mm. album holds um you know it's a a kind of a uh uh, an eddie vetter something he'll go back to again the the narrative of uh a kid who's you know, parents treated them like shit. And in this case, um, it was written about, uh, a, a friend of his who <clears throat> I believe got kicked out of the house for smoking weed or something like that. Um, but I mean, it's a good, it's, it's got a good groove to it. I, I think that, uh, it, it just, it doesn't stand amongst the rest of the songs. Still good though. Yeah. I, I tend to agree a little bit, but I, I do like the song. It's the only one with two words in the title. Um, good point. Now, That's true. I, I talked to the engineer on this record, Dave Hillis, and I brought that up. Mm-hmm. He thought that the titles were all working titles. 
Like he was surprised oh, really? when he saw the actual album come out, and it's like those are the actual song titles. But uh, that's amazing. Um, yeah, I I uh, I don't have much more to elaborate on it. I do like it. It's a, it's slotted nice. This is a well sequenced record. Not always the case with some of these grunge bands. But uh, what do we got for a rating and why go? What are we doing here? Uh, I'm going to give this one four years and counting since they put her in this place. <laughs> and wait, so that's four is the rating. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I give it four and maybe, a half maybe years. They don't, maybe they don't get better as they <laughs> Four and a half years and counting until they put her in her place. Uh, okay. So I like it a little bit better than you, it turns out. Um, again, yeah. bigger fan. Yeah. But you know what? The, the other thing about this is, like, when I did verses, I think I came into it with fives across the board. And I was like, I need to kind of dumb some of these down. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So, you know, I think both of these albums are pretty close to 10. Like, I'm, I'm nitpicking basically you know fair enough uh, i say uh be be true to yourself craig uh d- yeah but i mean there's no uh, get it straight there's no read my body on either of these records mm. like th- these records will do you good beginning to end imagine if we could get pearl jam to to play read my body live that's got to be a petition in the <laughs> if greg troyan hasn't already put it out there into the universe <laughs> he will after uh, hearing this oh my god he wants a mashup of meatloaf doing the frozen 2 soundtrack there you go. That sounds about right. <laughs> the next song, Black. And now my bitter hands shake beneath the clouds. Oh, what was everything? All the pictures said. All been washed in blood. Tattooed everything. What do you got here, Craigo? It's considered widely one of their absolute best. There is a performance, I think it's the Pink Pop performance, um, that fans kind of look at as the just absolute master version of this in a live format, and also the Unplugged performance, which I think probably did went a long way for introducing people to this song because it wasn't a single per se, but being on MTV unplugged definitely brought it into the living rooms of people who might not have heard it otherwise. And just what an emotive performance, Jesus Christ. Uh, the, um, it's just got one of those, uh, the whole song's great. Uh, and it's got one of those tropes. I love where they kind of just take three chords, uh, with one riff over, you know, the same riff over each chord and just repeat it in threes. And it just, it works so well. Uh, I remember being in a band and, you know, uh, the guitar player mocking me about, about Pearl Jam. Cause I was huge into them at the time. And he would just walk around <laughs> and I was like, that's not all the song is you dick. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's the, it's the hook of the song, but that's have a you great heard the part, other four minutes. It is. I, I mean, yeah, we could have. Yeah, somebody in this room come up with something that good and then mock me about it. Yeah, exactly. And listen to the four other minutes of the song. <laughs> um, but yeah, I mean, it's it works so well. And, and did you, that day, the band was broken up. <laughs> <laughs> True. Um, did you see? I can't remember if we talked about it on the verses episode, but when he comes out on Letterman, I have that uh, noted. And, yes, that uh, yeah. I'm going to drop that in here, man. Uh, wow. Do me a favor, later tonight, get a clock on the. I want to. I want to find out how long. How long that section? Why? 
You know what? Uh, Do you want to really know how that's done? Yeah. Have it done right? Do it right? for me. Do it for me. Okay. Eddie? Huh? Wait a minute. Eddie? No. fucking love that and the fact oh, it's that it's so great it, it, it was a surprise to david letterman like yeah uh, uh so, so to, to set it up because i think we did talk about it but i don't remember if we went into detail but dave was a fan of the band and apparently he just would look into the camera and pester eddie like eddie <laughs> come on the show eddie and so they arranged it when eddie was but, but i believe that i believe that when he did that like paul schaefer would start playing yeah like that that riff was kind of along with the gag so so the the setup is, is that dave starts talking about it um you know again and, and like and dave actually does that he kind of leans into the mic like do, 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 do. and then like so do you want me to play a little bit of that uh, that pearl jam song for you dave so yeah they start playing black and then out of nowhere eddie vetter walks on and he does that oh no someday i'll have a beautiful life and then he walks off and then dave just gets he up takes and- a microphone out of his jacket yeah, pocket right. <laughs> it's so great <laughs> gotta paint the picture here yeah. uh, and then yeah it was weird kinda- i think it was like it was 96 or something like yeah that. it was it later was- on was it yeah yeah, it was. Uh, I, I think it was. It might have even been '98, like around No Code. It was, you know, Eddie looking cool. Yeah, <laughs> uh, I'm starting to sound like Lee McCormick. What's what? What happened to me? Oh man. Um, but what a great yeah. It was. Look it up on the YouTube if you haven't seen it. It's, yeah, it's I'll really probably good. share it in, as uh, on the in the Facebook group too. But yeah, it yeah. is. It is just classic. Yeah, and then I just love the way he walks off, goes off the side stage door. He came in. And David Letterman gets up from the desk and actually falls him out, and the camera goes him, and he's literally gone. Uh, yeah, there, there was no like call back to talk or have him on the show or anything. It was just in and out. And it was it was perfect. Very uh, cool. And I've actually uh, I, I saw uh, a live performance of Colbert there when I was in New York City, so I actually felt like I was in the room, Craig. Oh wow, there. that's awesome! Yeah. There you go. <laughs> anyway. I love it. Uh, all right, so what's our? Uh, I, I don't have much more to add to Black. I think it's a fucking fantastic tune. Um, it was yeah. one of the early songs that grabbed me outside of Alive and Even Flow. Uh, what do we got for a rating here? Uh, we have five kids at play. I give it five kids at play as well. I, I would give it ten kids if I could. So, yeah, I, I mean uh, the live version. I believe you the li- any live version will push it to ten. Once he gets to that "We Belong Together" bit, uh, fucking insane, yeah. insanely good. Yeah, always good. Well, side one closes out with Jeremy. At home. 
song that, that drew me into Pearl Jam. Like I said, uh, Alive and Even Flow. You know, I, I stopped listening to what was current probably before this. So, like, I wasn't getting a, a steady dose of Pearl Jam on the radio. And, and anything that I would have gotten would have been through seeing the videos on MTV. Seeing Jeremy was just like, okay, I can't, this is a band I'm not going to be able to resist anymore. Like, this is fucking great. Um, Played to, you know, uh, me as a, uh, you know, somebody who was a couple years out of high school and, you know, wasn't the Jeremy, but was close enough in terms of like, you know, uh, being teased or all that shit to kind of relate to the subject matter. Uh, And uh, it was after seeing that video that I went out and bought the CD. So this is really the song that kicked it off for me. And um, it's another one of those songs that I think people, and look, as much play as Alive and Even Flow got on MTV, Jeremy probably quadrupled it. (laughs) Like that was the video that you could not escape. Uh, And I think that again, you know, it it made Pearl Jam not make another video until like 1998, uh, because it just and of course there was like a a copycat thing um, that kind of got pinned on them. I don't think it didn't get into the crazy aspects of like the Aussie suicide solution thing, but it was something that they got tagged with. So uh, it was like, okay, we're not going to make videos anymore after this. But I don't think, and the song has never, ever lost its shine for me. Like, I hear it now and I still see the genius in it. And mm-hmm. it's really, you know, it, it's not conventional. Um, it's kind of based uh, around uh, Jeff's 12 string bass riff. It kind of stays on A most of the time. Uh, and it, it's just, it's an experiment in dynamics. In fact, there's a, a version they played. I think it was in 95 and they released it as a fan club single where they kind of play it with the arrangement backwards. So they start the song and it's got that ding, ding, ding from the end. And he starts singing like the first verse over that and then the chorus, but it doesn't like, it doesn't lift up and it's, it's really weird. And and so like the lyrics go forward, but the arrangement plays backwards and wow. it ends it ends with a doom, 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 and it's really weird. And I think they might have played it that way a couple times and didn't stick with it, but it was a, a, a cool thing to hear. It's uh, one of their fan club singles, and I'm sure it's it's on YouTube. It, it, you can find it under the titles New Jeremy and No Jeremy, which I think is what they called it on the fan club single. Okay. Um, it's really cool to hear, just kind of like really switching it up. It's it's sad to me that more bands don't approach their craft with that mentality of like let's just do yeah. things let's 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 like let's mess around like um and I think uh, when we talk about like the difference between like because everybody everybody wants to say well hair metal ran its course and grunge was just the next thing well that's not necessarily wrong but hair metal bands didn't fucking think like that. They didn't really think yeah. like a creative entity. They they thought more of like a product. If I get this good and get this talented, I can do this and then I'll get this. And it just yeah. seems like Pearl Jam is really more driven. And a lot of these bands are, but I, I really appreciate any band that is driven by just the idea. You know what I mean? I want to do yeah. this, you know, and it doesn't always have to be good. It doesn't always have to land, but, uh, it, and I'd like to think, 
that's how I you know approach stuff when I was you know working more with with my uh, partner Treble. But um, I really I really enjoy fucking around with things and trying stuff a little differently. I never had to worry about the pressures of money influencing me though. Sure. So uh, <laughs> do, do you do you know who you just described? Who's that? Fish. Bummer. Oh, you fuck. I hate the fish. And every sentence you got deeper and deeper in. Yeah, and I'm but like, they're he's, just he's one thing over and over right again now. is not experimenting. That's not true. You, oh, come on, don't, don't be ignorant. I can't wait until you do your fish side cast. I'm there for it. All right. Well, uh, the the fish with Baco. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. Oh, maybe we should just call it fishing with Baco. Um, I like it. I like that too. All right. Well, before we get into side two, well, I've already you've already been on the show, so we don't have to get into any of those uh, stock. Uh, well, wait. We didn't rate this. Oh, give me your ratings. Sorry, sorry. Uh, I'm giving Jeremy five blackboards. Oh, I also give it five bu- blackboards. Uh, uh, okay. Absolutely love this song. Uh, you know, I, I will like to. I guess I, I should comment a little bit on the tune. When I first would listen to the album, it, it was a great tune. But now, when I listen to it, it almost stands out like a separately produced track. Like it just sounds yeah. sonically a little different than the other tunes. Um, but I think that has a lot to do with the fact that you know of the timing and the video. It, it you know that was the first really like scripted kind of shot music video. The other ones were just live yeah. live performance ones. So I don't know that it actually necessarily does. I think it's my mind playing a trick on me based on how, like you said, I mean, even Flow was just beat to death on MTV for about two months. This was even more so, and for a yeah. longer period of time. But uh, agreed. Um, but I mean, this is another one of those songs that's got you know kind of the and look I. I We'll probably talk about this as we go, but I, I prefer the Redux mixes to the original. But the one thing that the original, I mean, the Redux has them too, obviously, but the original kind of introduces the kind of, again, much like Evenflow, the spooky background vocals, and you get it in this too. Like, I think it's a combination of like the reverb and effects they use and the notes mm-hmm. that Eddie chose which are, you know, don't feel to me, and I'm not an expert, but don't feel to me like conventional background vocals. Well, before we get into side two then, Craig, uh, last time you were on, we got into all the stock questions I ask everybody. So I have kind of more of a a few talking points we can get to. Um, Mm -hmm. I do think in hindsight there is this effort with a lot of these bands to kind of say, well, they're more this or more that. It's not grunge, all that kind of stuff. Um, This record in particular is often kind of like rebranded as classic rock thing grunge. But with any musically valid movement, there's always some derivative nature to it and that kind of stuff. Being there, looking back at the time, this is yeah you're not going this is not classic rock to me it, it might be in the sense of time now, but this was very fresh at the time. This did not sound like Kingdom Come did, you know what I mean with that band? That, right. Like you know, this was while it had influences buried in the roots of like seventies hard rock. Mm-hmm. There was a very fresh angle to the songwriting, the musicianship, and this was like kind of like more like the next step forward. I think it's easy now, twenty years, thirty years later, to say, oh, that, that's you listen to that. That's like something you'd listen to on, you know, KQ or something like that. You know, and I think the production. Uh, really stands out on this and really kind of separates it from that stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Like, I think you could argue that Pearl Jam that comes after this would be more in tune with classic rock. Like, I... Oh, good point. I, 
I always kind of considered... I'd say with starting with people, Vitalogy, because I thought Versus was a yeah. really kind of ear-shattering kind of... It was a big step forward from this. Yeah, yeah, agreed. Uh, I, I think, to me, like, all Eddie Vedder ever wanted was to be in a band like The Who. And, and loved by his that, father. Yeah. He wanted and, two uh, things. He wanted to be in The Who, and he wanted his dad to love him. Uh, no question. And, uh, uh, and and Pete Townshend was probably a, a bit of a surrogate dad for him at, at some points in his life. Uh, but um, – and I think they were successful in doing that. I think uh, – I probably said it in the last episode, but I think Pearl Jam just kind of continued as a kick-ass rock and roll band in a time where – um, I mean, obviously, uh, Gene Simmons has told us all rock is dead. Obviously, he's he's never said anything untoward. Um, <laughs> so uh, why not believe that? But uh, but yeah, I think I think w- when you talk about this album, I think I think the production plays a big part in that because there is for as much of a rock band as Pearl Jam is, there's a sheen on Tan that isn't really on any of their other records, and I think it it's lost a little bit on the Redux version, but. It's definitely a sound choice that I think made it uh, different from Nevermind. You know, like uh, oh, absolutely. That was what know, was I, great about that time, though. That 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 it's gone now. Every album yeah. that comes out now seems to have the exact same fucking production qualities. Um, but yeah, all those albums stick out sonically different. You know what I mean? And yeah. it, and that was basically the way it went for every genre of music at that time, other than country. Sure. And, right. and reggae. Exactly. And, and the thing that I learned this week <laughs> after uh, listening to your episode with uh, the Decibel Geeks mm. <laughs> was that I knew uh, I knew four of those records probably that really? you mentioned. Uh, yeah, March there, there were not very many. Uh, does um, that mean you're not voting? Uh, uh, my votes would, would just be on album covers alone. I, I, I think I knew, the, I knew the <laughs> probably the only records out of those I knew were the Kiss ones. Um, Belly to belly, I knew, uh, but I don't know that I knew. You know, that was just stuff I never got into. So I, I thought that that would come up at some point here. Obviously, my, I thought we were going to talk Dick in the Box, but anyway, <laughs> that's that's later. Okay, that's, uh, <laughs> that, that's that's later. Um, so you know, this is more what I was into around that point. Mm. So for me to kind of compare it to anything else that was going on is probably a little disingenuous of me because I, I, you know I was ignorant to a lot of stuff. I was always kind of hyper-focused on what I liked and didn't really jump outside of that. And that didn't really overlap to, you know, metal that wasn't, you know, or even just like uh, uh, more serious rock that wasn't pop. You know, like I was always a big Kiss fan, always a big Maiden fan, but always just had my little pockets and never really ventured outside of those. So... Yeah, very long-winded way of saying, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it, yeah. It was unique. <laughs> well, I, I ever since I've heard the the Redux version, that's all I've listened to. You know, yeah. w- when I go to this record. But uh, after speaking with Dave Hillis, I went back to the original version, and I stand by what he said, and I, and I kind of felt that way when I first heard about the Pearl Jam Redux. This wasn't an album that was screaming to be remixed and remastered. Um, yeah, it's weird. And uh, but at the same time, it's really cool because it shows you what can be done if you want to actually do it. You know what right, I mean? And not right. just go in and boost the EQ and add a little bass. You know, um, which is what most remasters are. Um, that there really isn't any sonically 
driven effort to to improve it. Um, so I because yeah. I would love to see it on, on a lot of classic records where you just dial everything back, pull the effects off, and start over. You know what I mean? So well, you know that we need Stephen Wilson to do that for basically every album that exists, in my opinion. Van Halen too, <laughs> but why not? Why not? He um he did uh he did a remix of he he actually started remixing I think starting with King Crimson and then like Jethro Tull he's been remixing the catalog uh, uh, Stephen Wilson from Porcupine Tree my favorite band and artist um started remixing uh uh bands catalogs usually for surround as part of like anniversary sets but okay. he did a phenomenal job on. Uh, Tears for Fears songs from the big chair by stripping away all of the 80s reverb, which made it just a solid. I mean, it was a great record to begin with, great songs, but made it a solid sounding record. So I'm down for Stephen Wilson like remixing anything. <laughs> um, and I and I enjoy uh, when shit's remixed. Like I always enjoy hearing. Yeah, if, if it's a record if I, I don't I'm like close it, to, you know. I, yeah, if I don't like it, I'll go back to the original. It's not, you know the these purists that get so upset that the Beatles catalog was remixed like the Giles Martin. Oh, but Sergeant those are Pepper so is, good, man. They're, I, yeah, I'm told I'm an idiot for liking those, but Fuck God that. damn, man, if you can take something that I've listened to all my life, probably the most revered catalog of all time and just, yeah, maybe it was meant to sound that way, but when you blow it out into an entire 3d picture, like that's fucking amazing like that that's an experience and i i think that those remixes are great um it's not being george lucas where the originals no. being fucking destroyed and then right. some really early level shitty cgi which looks right. like a fucking cardboard cutout <laughs> was replaced you know yeah. this is solid starting over and and really digging into the project properly as yeah. if you were there when it was being made and then exactly. also not eliminating history by like not making the other one available anymore. It's it's yeah. perfectly fine. Like you said, if you don't like it, go to the original. I, I I with Kiss Destroyer, I will listen to the original more than that that Resurrected. But I enjoyed listening to it. Yeah, I mean that was yeah it was fine. I, I with Resurrected, I didn't think that there was enough of a change. I mean, it sounded a little cleaner. Cleaner. I, I think that you were able to remove like generations of shit, but like a lot of those effects that Ezrin does are baked in on the tape. Yeah, he it's called wet recording and that's his yeah, process. Like you can't, Plus yeah, he, he, he records, records the, the, the the drums like he doesn't individually track them. He he pulls Ooh. them into one board, gets his right. levels where he wants, and then bounces that to just a stereo track. So if yeah. he wants to crank up the kick drum, he's cranking everything up, you know. So Yeah. So yeah. he was so limited on what he could do because of his own stupid fucking process. Exactly. Well, that you know, that's what the cocaine does to you in 1976. I, I, I've hammered on it a few times, but I think if you want to do a quick fix on 80s metal records, just mm. take the fucking reverb, make, put a dry snare through all those records, oh. and they'll sound way better. Yeah, I'm crazy what that will do. <laughs> yeah, it really is. It's a, a huge difference. Um, yep. Well, back to Pearl Jam, though. Now, you mentioned yes. something early on that uh, Eddie's is the voice of grunge. And again, everybody looks to, to Nirvana as a thing. I think fashion-wise, you know, because it became kind of a look, Pearl Jam had the biggest impact. Especially yeah. Eddie and his Doc Martin boots, Jeff Immense, stupid fucking hats, 
I mean, you talked about Stone Goffer's goofy looks. Both him and Mike McCready kind of had some weird, weird hat choices at times. But <laughs> I'd go to parties and see people trying to replicate that kind of image and that um, that stick figure uh, a logo that they had that was on T-shirts. That was yep. fucking everywhere, and that kind of epitomized the grunge look. You know, yeah, um, it, it, probably more than any of the, the big four, I thought, image-wise, they hit home. And there was a lot of stuff that crossed over. I mean, I would say um, Mike Starr from Allison Chains very much had that grunge look, too, you know. But, uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, so for what it's worth, I think the fashion was driven by them. Yeah, uh, no question. Uh, I'll never forget uh, if the conversation about the black riff during band rehearsal was uh, the first step in the argument, me showing up to a gig in shorts and flannel, <laughs> what was the nail in the coffin? Oh, that, that, I was like, Ow. yeah, <laughs> yeah, I was trying to, I was trying to push us towards that direction. It was a classic rock band and they were like, yeah, fuck you. You shouldn't be wearing shorts and we will not. I definitely bought into the shorts. Uh, I, I was not able to afford Doc Martens. I had, yeah, me I neither. don't know, some fucking Kmart brand of boot, but uh, uh, yep. I, I still tried to pull it off. Um, but, you know, it was such an awkward time for me. It was, like, it was difficult <laughs> to do anything proper. Uh, Yellow Leadbetter was recorded during this. Uh, let me ask you this, Craig. What yeah. is your favorite lyric from Yellow Lead Butter? I would say that my favorite lyric is uh, <laughs> Yeah, what would you, hey. uh, you So you would give it 5 I I would I would give it 5 uh probably 5 uh in that own waves. It is a fun tune, but this one if you want to go with classic rock this is a little more than derivative of Little Wing, at least that opening riff. Oh yeah. Um, well, which, I mean, that's what it was. They were they were fucking around yeah. at rehearsal. Yeah. And that's why it doesn't have real lyrics. It was, I mean, it was a goof kind of B side that, amazingly, I'll never forget the first time I heard it on the radio. I mean, I knew it as a B side. Yeah. That was one of the reasons I got into Pearl Jam was because. Yeah, what, what single was it on? It was on the Jeremy single. Okay. I think it had that and Footsteps, which is the third part of the trilogy that we didn't even talk about. The uh, the um, the the demo tape that Eddie sent back with his vocals uh, <laughs> is the first thing he recorded. It was uh, Once Alive and Footsteps. Okay, and it was a story called the Mamasan Trilogy. And Footsteps didn't come out until the Jeremy single. It was a performance that they did on Rockline. Um, in 91 or 92 and ended up becoming a B-side, uh, which is also a great song. It's also... Um, That's a nice drop there, its... rock line. Boy. Yeah, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, if you ever want to see the difference between uh, like what fame can do to Eddie Vedder, <laughs> listen to like the 91 or 92 rock line and then listen to the 93 one where he is either putting it on or fucking stoned out of his gourd because, and I bought into all of it. I know I talked about this in the last one. I was way into tortured artist Eddie, you know, and Eric wouldn't have it. He was like, yeah, he always has to like pose for pictures like he has a headache. And I was like, hey, fuck you, man. He's got a lot going on. Yeah, he's deep. Uh, (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Where did Merkin Yeah, Yellow Ledbetter was just a, a jam session that, Eddie just sang some bullshit on top of, and it gets mocked for that reason. But, yeah. You know, that's essentially what it was. It was just like a throwaway that, you know, radio glommed onto. Yeah. I do uh, like for, it, but. 
Yeah, I do too. I mean, but it also became like their big closing number. Uh, you know, as much as they switch up their set lists, you probably have a 50% chance of going out on yellow lead, lead better. And when I, I think the last time I saw them, McCready would, uh, like just end with like an extended guitar solo and throw riffs of like random shit into there. And then the night I went in Philly, we got number of the beast, nice. which was, uh, which was pretty sweet. That's pretty, uh. That's hard to even. Th- I'm trying to fit that in my head here. How does that? Uh... It, it was out of nowhere. He uh. was just like noodling, and then all of a sudden, oh man! When I have a mouthful of water, it's that's it's not the time. <laughs> On the tour cycle, they were part of what I consider to be the pinnacle of Lollapaloozas, and that was the '92 yeah. one with uh, Red Hot Chili Peppers. Um, during the blood sugar sex, uh, blood sugar sex magic record, uh, Soundgarden, yep. of course, touring for Bad Motorfinger, and then it had Ministry and Ice Cube to kind of give you kind of just a, a pretty broad spectacle. Yep. I, I, if there was one that I could have seen, it would have been this one. Oh yeah, uh, and we're we're pumpkins part of that one i guess next year i I think 93 was pumpkins and alice in chains okay because pearl jam toured with uh chili peppers and pumpkins yeah and um i told the story last time about a friend of mine that got to hang with all three bands right uh when they played penn state uh decided not to go golfing or something with eddie or yeah yeah miniature golfing or something like that um kyle who's no longer with us but uh, photographed them. Uh, a picture of, of Eddie that he photographed ended up in Guitar World. I have that uh, autographed by Eddie and on my wall. That's pretty um, amazing. Yeah, so that was uh, that. That's a. Uh, and I, I'm not a big Chili Peppers fan, but I mean, I definitely take a night where there was Pearl Jam and Smashing Pumpkins. Smashing mm-hmm. Pumpkins pre Siamese Dream would have been something really interesting to see. That 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 record in particular to me is just a banger. Blood sugar, sex, magic. Um, really? Yeah. I, I don't I, do much for them e- before. Or okay. After, though. They never did it for me. But I never listened to an album beginning to end. So maybe that's my mistake. Let's get into uh, side two. Yes. Well, it opens up with oceans. Hold on to the thread. The currents will shift. Glide me to. that if you're not familiar with the live catalog might kind of go by um, unnoticed. It's short. Um, it's more kind of a vibe, uh, but they opened their shows with this a lot. Really? Um, yeah. Well, you mentioned yeah. that they open up with a lot of kind of slow ones. So, Yeah, they would. Usually it would be like Oceans into Even Flow or, or something like that. Um, but uh, for, for that aspect, and I really like that. Um, not a lot of bands do it, but I kind of always liked the kind of just mood opener and then just fucking slamming into hmm. even flow or once, you know, um, that one, two punches is, is really, uh, impactful when you open up with something that's kind of just like, uh, 
uh, I want to say like meditative, you know, it's got that kind of quality to it. Uh, I love oceans. I think, I think it's a great song. Um, and you forget, or I did kind of like the, the vocal effects that are really prominent on the original mix, like the flange on Eddie's voice, uh, not on the redux. When I went back and listened to it again, I was like, wow, I, I'd forgotten that the, you know, this was how they produced this. Um, but it, but there was also a video for this. Oddly enough, I don't think it was shown in America, but hmm. it's it's just uh, kind of them in the ocean, and that's literally it. Uh, I think <laughs> this was a, and I don't believe this was a single here. I think it was a single in the UK. Yeah, I thought it was weird uh, that it showed up on the Wikipedia page as a single, but yeah, I mean that's a problem with Wikipedia. They they often just lump all the singles yeah. together. But I think it was a UK single. There was definitely a CD single for it with a remix, and I think like three live tracks. Um, so yeah, I, I, I really dig this one. Good lyrics, but the song, uh, we're, we're starting to get into a little bit of territory where things, if, if there's weak stuff on here, this would probably be, oh, there's only one song that I, that I have a lower rating for than this. So, um, let's just skip okay. to that. What, what are, what are we rating this one? Unlike you, I am going to, uh, give this one. I will be there once, twice, thrice, four ice, five <laughs> times more. I will be there once, twice, thrice and a half times more. Okay. Uh, so it's a it, good, good, good keeping up, by the way. Nicely, nicely done. Yeah, I did better on that one than most of them. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it, now again, a lot of these things for me, it's it's how it fits. And, and on the record, this is one of those albums that when I listen to, I really don't, you know, make, you know, let's pop to the next one. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I, I like it where it's at. Um, it, it's a nice little break between Jeremy and, and into a uh, porch, but um, it, it is just if, as a standalone track, just not my favorite, but uh, with- you know what? You, you make a good point. This might have served better as a B side um, with something else like uh you know, I I don't know that I can forgive you guys for how you trash State of Love and Trust because that's probably in my <laughs> top five Pearl Jam songs of all. No, time. I think it was just me that trashed it. Uh, I think okay. I think Andy yeah, Shaw enough. actually it, defended it. Yeah, it, it, weird. Um, State of Love and Trust. You know, they had uh, there was another song of theirs, Wash, which was a, a slow B side, which was also used as a mm. show opener. So I tend to I tend to really like those, but I, I do wonder if. Maybe uh, the placement of something more upbeat than this might have done the the album better as a whole. Hmm. Who knows? You know, it did it did okay. So I don't know that they're over. Yeah, I, I mean, that. yeah, uh, shouldn't really be second guessing <laughs> it too much. The next track, one I know that uh, fetching young lady that I used to work at the radio station with, she was a big fan of Porch. What the fuck is this world running to you? Didn't leave a message. At least I could have learned your voice one last time. Taken up by the metal There ain't gonna be any metal anymore And the 
interesting going back to the album because you might tend to forget that it's essentially just like a, uh, I don't know, how long is it? It's it's three and a half minutes. Uh, most live versions are around 10 to 12. Because this, <laughs> oh, is where, this is where Eddie decides he's going to try to cheat death uh, yet oh, another time. This is the, t- the, 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 this, this the, is the song, yeah. Right. Uh, uh, specifically during this time, uh, again, maybe worth watching the Pearl Jam 20 just for the footage where they show him just like a goddamn maniac swinging from the rafters at like various clubs. And then like at Pink Pop, he's on the... Um, He's on the, the the crane, the camera crane yeah. with the guy that's filming, and he's trying to like gesture, like get me out over the audience, and they're like, "What the, what the fuck are you gonna do?" And he ends up like jumping off the crane into the audience. Uh, it had to be fun uh, for the people he landed on. Oh yeah, absolutely, the big moment. Uh, it, it's great. It's great footage to see because you can tell Eddie's annoyed. The camera dude is like, "I don't know what you want me to do." Yeah, like it's <laughs> it's really great. But of course, you'll see also an even flow, uh, him kind of yeah. jumping off the off the balcony thing and just all that kind of stuff so this now do you think he just had really good uh shoulder and bicep strength or does he only like weigh like 60 pounds so he's kind of like a bird a combination of both okay um you know and it's interesting to watch the documentary because uh i think stone says something like yeah every time he did it i was like Dude, I don't want to be in another band where my lead singer dies. Just like, yeah. don't, don't, what the fuck are you doing? Yeah. But I mean, it's, it's amazing to watch, you know, years after the fact. Uh, so they would usually like jam this out in a way not unlike the fish from Vermont and uh, keep the groove going. Um, and always, you know, when it kicked back in after he would jump or come down or whatever, uh, it was always like super fast and really good. So, um, so it works for me as a live track. I never really had much for the studio version of it. Uh, mm. It's it's kind of a weird little song, you know, uh, and, and it's an interesting choice that it became the one that uh, they would use to uh, to stretch out towards the end of the show. And, of course, uh, on the MTV Unplugged, this is the, the one where uh, no rafters to climb, so he stands on a stool and write, writes pro-choice on his arm yep. while trying to balance himself on a stool. Which, as a diminutive uh, figure, he probably was not as hard as it might be for someone of your stature or mine. So. No doubt. Uh, I love this track. Um, you know, it uh, it definitely is one that it's weird because as much as I like it, I I always kind of like forget that it's there. But then when it comes yeah. up, I'm like, fuck, this tune just it just knocks it out of the park. Another sports reference there. The other thing that's weird about it is, I mean, you know, for years I know it as a song that's towards the end of the set. To think that this is like the second song on side two is just it's weird placement. <laughs> you know, you know and it's weird too because I, I think. Um, these stories that you talk about with the live performance to bring up kind of a a, 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 a neat dichotomy between how you and I look at this. Because really, for me, I've never seen Pearl Jam live. I was actually planning on going to this last tour uh, oh, wow. before everything got shut down for COVID just because I'm like, how is it not almost by happenstance that at some point, you know, because like a lot of my friends were into these guys, too, that I would yeah. just end up going. But I, I never have. But for me, it is all the studio recordings. Digging into that stuff you sent me was really the first kind of experience that I had delving into them as a live band heavily anyway. I think since the last time we talked, we probably talked about the radio. They did a radio thing uh, like a week before Kurt died, I think. I think April 94. 
Um, and they just released it through uh, the the Ten Club membership thing as a digital download. Um, and they've been they've put out s- certain Vault releases. They've put out a, a couple from the Ten Tour, a couple from Vitology, um, and those are always great. Uh, I, I think their shows kind of there's something about these early shows that just have a real charm to them. And it's not to say there's anything bad about the shows that come later, but. Uh, the shows around this time were just so good, uh, and they're, they're playing ferociously. You know, even when Eddie is fucked up, it makes for an interesting <laughs> show and not necessarily a sloppy one. Yeah. Um, you know, it just kind of affects his banter. Uh, so yeah, definitely worth checking out all that stuff. Right on. Um, what do we uh, got for a rating system for Porch? Uh, for Porch, I have four messages left. Okay, I, I'll give it five messages left. This to me is uh, fair enough. We're getting back on track here. Uh, yeah. uh, up next, I, I think only be, only because live ones, I would definitely give five. Okay, well, fair enough. Um, uh, up next, we have Garden. Curious to know what what your thoughts are on this because this is an absolute favorite of mine. Um, it's a, a more kind of about the guitar interplay, yeah. Uh, which I think on the Redux, I think they pull up guitars that you can't hear on the original. There's, it's it's more fleshed out. Yeah, and the arrangement's really good. Um, this is just kind of like a, a more of an experiment in dynamics. The verses really are kind of mumbly and not much there but the the chorus i i think is is really good it's got a great breakdown it comes back in really well um yeah this one's uh high up there for me uh same here i this is one of my favorite tracks on here um i i love that that just the the smoothness of that chorus that i will walk yeah um it just it it always like if i'm not paying attention that instantly will distract me from whatever my mind's at you know um but the whole song in general everything you just talked about and and again this is one that the redux really does you know help out quite a bit um definitely so yeah i i i I think uh i'm ready for whatever we're gonna use for rating garden what do you got here uh, Garden is definitely five shadow flags. Okay, I also give it five shadow flags. So. Good. Well, the the next track then we have is Deep. Says maker, ponder says will to the street below 
So this uh, is the other one along with Why Go that, uh, you know, just never did it for me. And this is one that kind of still doesn't. Uh, this is this is kind of the nadir of the record for me. Um, and I don't know why. I It's kind of weird when you look at those early shows. Why Go and Deep are usually back-to-back. I don't know if it was a, a kind of thing where it was just a part of the show I wasn't into. I don't know. Uh, I know that those songs kind of didn't stick around on the set list you know, for, you know, uh, much longer, uh, once they had more albums out. Uh, so this one, I I'll listen to it, but there were many years where this was a skip for me. I go back and forth with this one. There are times that like, I really like it, but then when I sat down for this, I'm like, mm. eh, you know, uh, this really is kind of milk toast. This is not one that, I don't know, maybe it's just a vibe thing. Maybe I just got to like, I, I need to be at a keg party in a basement because it's winter and someone's cranking this and it really resonates. Yeah. But uh, when I just, you know, sit and listen to it, I'm kind of with you. It just it, it, it doesn't seem to to have that same draw or appeal that sometimes it does. And I really don't have an explanation for it. Um, yeah. I mean, there there is one bit I really like. Uh, I, I think maybe I'm not as into the verses. I think the choruses are decent. Yeah. But there's the one chorus that kind of keeps – the momentum up and the, the it keeps going boom boom yeah boom 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 like that part is really really good down you know i feel like i listened to get to that part really yeah and then that might the be it man is, that might be it because again I, I think that's the bit for me all right what do we uh what are we using to rate deep Okay, well, this one we have uh, uh, two great views and one view she doesn't like, so a total of three views. <laughs> Can I just say ditto? <laughs> yes. <laughs> two great two great views and one view she doesn't like that much. Did I get that right? Yeah. Close enough, he says. All Close right. <laughs> well, it closes with release.
this along with Oceans, often used as an opener. Um, God, that's just weird to me. I I gotta check that out. I gotta try to. Yeah, I, I, I'll I'll send you like a show. You gotta kind of see it on video. Yeah, because it you know usually kind of the it's backlit. Like usually like a the band will be kind of dark and the the back lights will be red, and then like as soon as they pop in the second song, spotlights come on. Okay, you know? so it's 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 really a groove. Um, uh, written about his father, uh, a, a bit of an emotional song. As I mentioned in the last episode, the um, the original CD and the mini disc as well does not have the lyrics for it, and the Redux does. But I was reminded um, I have the uh, the songbook for ten, and it says, no, no, uh, "Is that tablature or just uh, the regular?" Yeah, songbook? this is tablature. Okay. Um, for release, it's got the the, the guitar uh, tab, but at the bottom it says, due to contractual restrictions, the lyrics to release cannot be reprinted in this book. What the so hell? not even in the sheet music for release are the lyrics printed. Um, Do you know what that's so it, about at all? No, because in the Redux, it's got Eddie's handwritten, or you know, it could have been a more recent version of it, in the original CD, it just says release with a kind of gradient behind yeah. it and no lyrics. Um, I always just thought maybe kind of too personal. Um, I also think that also in, in verses, uh, Indifference is not printed, which is the last track there. Mm-hmm. Uh, I believe it was only originally in the cassette or something like that. So I think maybe just trying to kind of keep a privacy or an air of mystery around it, Okay, you know, uh, would be my guess. But uh, this, uh, if you've seen the, um, and I recommend if you haven't seen it, have you seen Two Play Ten? No. Where they play at Wrigley Field? Okay. Um, it's uh, a show they do at Wrigley Field, but um, it's kind of. Sounds like a great title done. for a podcast. Yeah, right? Uh, <laughs> it's, uh, I like it. Um, it's, it, it's intermingled with a bit of baseball history and, uh, uh, if you're into that sort of thing, or even if not, I, I enjoyed it. Um, but this song kind of plays a, a big role in the in the film, which is which is nice. Hmm. Um, yeah, I, I I really dig it, and I think that the bootlegs, listening to bootlegs and live performances helped it along, uh, uh, where I think it really really shines. But yeah, I, I think that this is a, a really good one. Interesting kind of riff, kind of like a Doorsy. Yeah. Reminds you of like the end or something like that. That kind of just like drones on one chord and kind of moves it off a little bit when you get to the hook. But kind of the whole song is kind of really centered around that little riff on the D. You know, and, and drone is the perfect word because there is, especially during that first verse, kind of almost that like that kind of just hovers over yeah. it. Um, I, I I love this song. This is a perfect way to end this record. It's it's such a great yeah. closer, um, and it's weird because um, you know relationships with a father is not a huge topic in in rock and roll, and and that that to me adds a lot to the freshness of what Pearl Jam brought. And I know the, 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 you know that was largely this record where he addressed those kind of things, um, you know, with you know the songs like Alive and and, and whatnot, but. Uh, yeah. it, it, it definitely added to it, you know, um, I mean, I always had a good relationship with my father, so it wasn't like I, I connected with it on that, but, um, it is weird, you know, as you get to be an adult and, and now you're, 
the, the, the relationship fathers and sons have takes on a much different role. And maybe that was a really sure. good time for me to, to kind of hear this kind of stuff. But this song, it's just it, it just shows the brilliance of Eddie Vedder working with these guys because yeah. it, it's difficult to really think of things in the sense of like, well, you write all the music and then I'll come in and I'll write the lyrics and melody. But yet a lot of bands work that way. But um, yeah. I'm, I'm more of a control freak, Craig, so I like to just do everything and tell everybody what to do. <laughs> Uh, but no, I, I, I like that. Well, no wonder you ended up with, with LC Fox. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, but, Somebody, uh, some, somebody's got to carry the weight. <laughs> um, but, uh, the, that being able to do it and to do it at, at this level, it to me is great. And this song is just another example yeah. that just, it actually just makes me jealous to be honest yeah. with you that, that like, I didn't write this song. I wanted to, you know, Eddie, yeah. I wanted to write this and you took that from me. Uh, right. so <laughs> what do we got for a, a rating here? I know how you feel. Uh, oh, this oh did give. you want to elaborate on that or, uh, no, I, I just, I'm co-signing. Okay. All right. Um, this one, I give five absolutely killer concert openers. All right. This is five killer concert openers for me. So, uh, yeah. almost fives all across the board. Well, yeah. that, that gets us to the, the, the final thought segment to here. Um, I'll tell you this from my end. This record has aged very well. Um, after talking with uh, Dave Hillis, I mentioned earlier, I went yeah. back and listened to the original Mix and the Master. And like I said, I really don't think a redo was necessary. But at the same time, I'm glad they did. This record, like a lot of these big ones now that we're getting to the end, really takes me back to the funner times of this period for me. Oddly enough, because I know like I've talked about it on a lot of these episodes, how like this kind of reminded me of some... like less positive experiences in my life but this one for whatever reason an album that talks about a lot of dark subjects this to me reminds me of the party this album to me is jamming you know with, with friends this is chasing girls this is kegs this is you know th- th- i really feel i missed out on seeing concerts during this period but a lot of it had to do with proximity of living in rochester minnesota and not having any money you know so i really didn't see a lot of yeah. shows um, of the grunge bands during this time, uh, frankly, any of the time, other than Alice in Chains opening for Slayer and Megadeth and Anthrax. But um, this was not a crawl into a corner album for me. As a, this was a banger, man. Uh, I know the subject matter is really heavy, but the vibe of this record is just raging. And um, and that works because it really does have that same energy. And you, you, to me, when you talk about Eddie climbing the rafters and jumping into the crowd, a lot of that really vibes with the overall feel of the record, not the lyrical tone. Um, and there is just like this euphoric endorphin producing vibe to this whole thing. Uh, it's good stuff. And I do uh, this record. I go back to fairly regularly, almost as often as I do kiss music from the elder. But, uh, what are your final thoughts on this? Yeah. I mean, it was, it was really nice to revisit it. Um, this album does hold a lot of really special memories for me. Um, you know, as I mentioned before, uh, my friend Kyle, he was the one who really kind of pushed me into getting into mm. Pearl Jam and, you know, his, he, his stories about, you know, hanging out with them and, and all that stuff. And I, I remember actually the, the mini disc conversation made me remember one of the first mini discs I made, he brought over all the, uh, import singles. So I made a disc of like all the live B sides and all the studio B sides and, as a collector, which I've kind of always been, Pearl Jam just kind of hit all those buttons. You know, mm. uh, the fact that, and it was, you know, at, at a time pre-internet, 
and I've gone off on on this jag many times, but like just that thought that you could go into a Tower Records and find something you didn't know existed. Yeah, like that's gone now. You you'll you'll always know your your favorite band. You'll always know the street date for the next record. You know, you'll you'll know <laughs> the single is coming a month before it's it's dropped, as the kids say. Hmm. But like this was a time when. And I mean, on top of that, you know, I was I was a year out of high school at this point, but dropping $50 on like two CD bootlegs, you know, silver CDs of Pearl Jam. And and they were one of those bands that that bootleggers really had a field day with. Uh, so there was always like at the local place, you know, 20, 30 Pearl Jam CD bootlegs weren't cheap. Um, and that's an investment, you know, when you're, uh, a kid out of high school with, with not a whole lot of money. Uh, so, you know, that kind of stuff becomes really, uh, important. So, um, it, it's been great to kind of revisit those days. Uh, I didn't see Pearl Jam until 2000. So a lot of my big memories of them are around that time, but this was definitely uh, what a time to become a fan of this, you know? Uh, and and the album just, it it was so good to listen to again. Right on. Well, uh, as always, it's a blast talking with you, Craig. Always love having you on. And you. Do you have anything you want to promote? Talk about pods and sods, uh, um, I'm, I'm a bit on hiatus right now, uh, but, uh, the back catalog is over at podsodcast.com, uh, uh, the pods and sods network on Facebook. I, I did just release an episode, um, by the time that this drops, uh, maybe a, a week or two ago. As the kids with, would say. Uh, <laughs> okay. Um, uh, with, uh, monkeys historian, Andrew Sandoval right now. Oh, on yes. A, I'm working on a monkey's book, which uh, will probably not be done in the next few years. But um, <laughs> that's where um, a, a lot of my time uh, goes to when time permits. So um, during this hiatus that Eric and I are taking from podcasting, we're reintroducing some of our older episodes into the feed, which uh, got lost when we moved servers. So, Oh, oh nice. Uh, some, some older from the archives pods and sods might be showing up if you subscribe. Uh, so, yeah, look out for that. Well, right on, man. I appreciate this. Uh, I appreciate it. Yeah. Always good to spend a, uh, uh, <laughs> these morning hours with you. Whatever. Never mind.
I don't want to put too much pressure on you, but the last two uh, episodes I've recorded were um, BJ Cramp and I talking about uh, Mud Honey, which it turns out neither one of us liked. And then I just did <laughs> t- two hours with Ian Wadley on Hole. And uh, I- I'm about halfway through the editing of that, trying to, to make this... Th- not so misogynistic. It's just <laughs> editing out the word cunt uh, quite a bit. What, what were you thinking with that matchup? You knew that you were going to have editing work ahead of you. But also... I take full Brian, responsibility. Brian and Wad, just the polar opposites. That must have yeah. whiplash going from one episode to the other.